Daniel Pierce, and you're listening to Grottopod. Today on Grottopod, we're continuing our reading series, in which we bring you readings from Writer's Grotto members. Today we're featuring a reading from Roberto Lovato, who will be reading from his new book, Unforgetting, a memoir of family, migration, gangs, and revolution in the Americas. Lovato is an educator, journalist, and writer, also the co-founder of Hashtag Dignidad Literaria, the movement advocating for equity and literary justice for more than 60 million Latinx persons left off of bookshelves in the United States and out of the national dialogue. A recipient of a reporting grant from the Pulitzer Center, Lovato has reported on war, violence, terrorism in Mexico, Venezuela, El Salvador, Dominican Republic, Haiti, Paris, and the United States. Until 2015, Lovato was a fellow at UC Berkeley's Latinx Research Center and recently finished a teaching stint at UCLA. His essays and reports from across the United States and around the world have appeared in numerous publications, including Guernica Magazine, The Boston Globe, Foreign Policy Magazine, The Guardian, The Los Angeles Times, Der Spiegel, La Opinion, and other national and international publications. Now, here's Roberto Lovato reading from Unforgetting. Introduction. The machete of memory can cut swiftly or slowly. It's August 4th, 2019. Pop and I are watching news of the latest shooting rampage. A white supremacist slaughtered 20 people in El Paso yesterday. Most of the victims were people who looked like us, people whose last names ended end in Z. This shooting and the one in Dayton days before have the country aghast. The El Paso shooters declared motive, preventing the Hispanic invasion of Texas, has friends talking or posting on social media about the possibility we may have to take up arms to defend ourselves. No stranger to guns, Pop has other concerns. Those fucking gangs are ruining El Salvador, he says suddenly, as if out of sync with the more urgent news in the Spanish-speaking United States. A few minutes earlier, the newscast that reported on the El Paso massacre also reported on the relentless killing in the tiny country of titanic sorrows that bore him. Papa's never met a member of MS-13, the most notorious of these gangs. Over the course of several decades, I've met dozens and even befriended members of a gang that the President of the United States compares to Al-Qaeda and calls animals who, he says, have literally taken over towns and cities of the United States. I watch the news and the snake in my stomach twists and turns my gut before the eternal return of two figures whose outsized contributions to the cataclysmic cycles of Salvadoran violence go back to the early 90s, but remain largely forgotten. Former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani and two-time U.S. Attorney General William Barr I nod as if silently agreeing, agreeing with Pop's gangs as a cause of every problem thesis. The snake in my gut lets me know there's no room to deal with the shooting and Giuliani and Barr and Pop all at once. Yeah, you're right, Pop. The news of El Paso and my friend's terrified social media responses tighten my shoulders and neck. My body reminded me of those times someone has tried to hurt or kill me. It brings back a memory of sitting on Pop's dining room table last April. I was helping him pay some overdue bills while he watched Animal Planet. During a commercial break, Pop stood suddenly and hobbled back to his bedroom. The soft, steady sks, sks, sks 
of his fluffy gray orthopedic slipper rubbing against the faded linoleum sounded faster than his usual pace. A minute later, faster pace signaled he was navigating his way through the kitchen toward the living room. As he neared the table, he stopped and stood next to me. I looked up and smiled at him. He had a strangely familiar look on his tense, unshaven face. His eyes like daggers, looking at me with a wrath I hadn't known since my adolescent years, when our anger was at its mutual worst. I raised my eyes in disbelief when I saw his hand wrapped tight around the dusty, varnished black handle of a machete. Without warning, Pop swung his machete toward me, screaming, You drogadito son of a bitch! Stop trying to steal my money! I glanced at the 96-year-old hands clutching the machete's handle. The flags of Nicaragua, Guatemala, Honduras, Costa Rica, and El Salvador on the old souvenir were about to come down on my head. I jumped to Pop's side and grabbed the machete before he could finish the act. Pop stood dazed and frustrated and alone. I rushed out of the dining room to hide the machete downstairs in a safe corner of the garage. He rarely went into the garage since he stopped driving two years ago at age 94. From down below, I heard my cousin Anna's hurried footsteps rushing to her bedroom, from the bedroom, through the kitchen and into the dining room. I remained downstairs a few minutes to let my cousin chill pop out. In the cool silence of the garage, a couple of five by three cardboard boxes sit side by side in the shadows beneath the stairs. The boxes bear musty old clothes, cheap new blouses, radios, calculators, TVs, and other ancient electronics and outdated toys, remnants of my family's contraband empire, once a source of income and serious family conflict and inner conflict of my own. Minutes later, the mellifluous guitars and layered three-part harmonies of Golondrina Viajera, a bittersweet bolero by Trio Los, Trio Los Condes, followed by the soulful dreamy sounds of Jose Feliciano singing La Barca, another nostalgic pop favorite, Signal Pop's latest storm had subsided. It was safe to come back upstairs. Music, we were told some years ago, would help Pop calm Pop's dementia. Doctors predict his process of mental fragmentation will only accelerate over time. The machete cuts slowly. Now we're watching Alex Trebek start Jeopardy. Months after Pop's outburst, we were in no longer, we no longer have machetes in the house, a decision that runs contrary to the traditions of Salvadorans in the U.S. Many of the two to three million Salvadorans living here since the bloody civil war of the 80s and early 90s have souvenir machetes in their homes. Machetes adorn the waist of countless men back when Salvadorans lived in the countryside. Revolvers replaced them in the age of the urban majority. The image of skinny, droopy immigrant kids strutting into Liborio Market in LA's Pico Union Westlake District to buy the machetes in the 90s lingers. They were among the first mareros I saw. Only later did I realize that the machetes those gang members bought gave local media, Hollywood, and the LAPD, and eventually the Pentagon and US presidents, the exotic ethos they needed to turn the skinny kids into a tattoo-faced scourge, the most violent gang in the world. Those of us in the Pico Union area knew why those early Mareros carried rocks and baseball bats and bought machetes. 
The poor immigrant youth needed to defend themselves from larger gangs, but couldn't afford the AK-47s and other weapons used by the older, richer, more sophisticated Crips, Bloods, or Mexican Mafia. Those gangs possessed another, more powerful weapon the Mareros also lacked, U.S. citizenship. The story of the Maras and their real violence remains hidden, buried in half-truths and myths in a labyrinth of intersecting underworlds, criminal and political, revolutionary and reactionary, psychological and cultural. Many Salvadorans are mired in simplistic explanations. Even before his dementia set in, Pop, for example, agreed with the one of every three Salvadorans who told posters they support a Kurtzian solution to the gang problem. Exterminate all the brutes. The machete makes us hack it ourselves. And that's our show for today. Bradopod is produced by Brad Baluchian, Rita Chang Epic, George Higgins, Daniel Pierce, and Beth Weinberger. The music is by Sugartown. Please review and subscribe to Grotto Pod wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Daniel Pierce. Thanks for listening.